Nehemiah chapter 4. As I was thinking about this message, Think about other things, and in fact, I was considering what does it mean to endure? What does it mean to persevere through all types of things? And uh, the one thing that came to mind was, I, I recall when it was just a few years ago, when it's time for us to put a new roof on our house. You know, those are, those are things that you, you need to have. Because uh, sometimes if you don't put a new roof on your house, what's outside will come inside. You're trying to keep what's outside outside and not inside on you, amen? Because if you want it to be outside, you go outside, amen? So you have to put that new roof on your house, at least the shingles. And uh, as we were researching, as you research everything, uh, that one of the things that uh, uh, you have to be concerned with, uh, it has to do with the ratings of the shingles, Right? You know, how much, how much wind can those shingles handle? So they give it a rating as far as how many miles an hour uh, can uh, the wind blow and those shingles remain on your house, right? That's really important because if you purchase shingles that look real good, amen, uh, but if they can only withstand a five-mile-an-hour wind, then you might as well keep what you got up there already and put a piece of tarp up there. Because the slightest wind, as a matter of fact, you blow your breath and those shingles are going to come a-tumbling down. So as I began to investigate, I found out that they had ratings like to 60 to 70 miles an hour. I'm like, really? Chicago? 90 miles an hour? Uh, so I think I decided to get one that was rated between 90 and 100 miles an hour. I said, we probably never ever need anything like that. And then just a few years ago, I remember that it was, it was uh, uh, the wind was blowing so hard, and they were saying that the wind uh, was blowing about 70, 80, uh, uh, 90 miles an hour at times. Of course, the first thing that came to my mind, will my roof withstand that? And the winds blew, and of course I was paranoid, and I began to look out, and the roof remained. But uh, the roof not only uh, uh, should stay on when the wind blows, uh, the roof should also be good when the sun is shining down hard. Amen? Uh, because that, that sun can do a job on it. But also all the little critters that run across your roof. So uh, a roof takes a lot of, 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 of damage. There's a lot that goes on on your roof. As I hear those, I'm thinking about those creatures that run across my roof early in the morning. It takes a lot. And I begin to think of myself, am I like that roof? Can I withstand 100 miles an hour wind? Of course, uh, not the literal wind, uh, but I'm saying the winds of the time or all the challenges that happen in life. Uh, can you withstand that on your own. And the bottom line is, on our own, we really cannot stand that. In fact, Jesus says, before I get to Nehemiah, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 
He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Of course, the scripture goes on. Question for you today is how are you founded? Is your spiritual life founded on the rock of Christ? Nehemiah. Nehemiah continues to direct the people as we've worked working through this series. He continues to direct the people to build the wall. When you look at what is going on in this book, that we must ask the basic question, you know, what was Nehemiah's mission and why was he doing what he was doing? We discovered that his mission was to build the wall so that uh, Nehemiah's people, God's people, would not be in shame. And also, uh, the reason that... uh, they should not be in shame was all for the glory of the Lord. Why was it important for the people and why was it important for the Lord? We know because if God's people are all messed up, then the world looks at God's people and think that their Lord must not be much of a God to his own children. You see, if you and I are messed up, and we're walking around here talking about Jesus this and Jesus that, you see, those who are looking uh, in from the outside will, will look at us and say that, you know what, you're talking all this stuff about Jesus, but look at you. Look at your life. You behave as if there is no Jesus in your life. So why would I want to follow you? And why would I want to follow Jesus? But on the other hand, if God takes care of you, and he certainly takes care of me, amen? If God takes care of you, then one thing that you know, that when people are looking in from the outside and they look at you, they must say that there must be something special about your God. Uh, I recall telling you a story a few years ago that I was traveling with this band out of New York. And, uh, and this one time we were in, uh, we had gotten off the bus uh, doing a concert in, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was in Amsterdam. And uh, all these things were happening, and I said, it's all about the Lord. I began to witness about the Lord. And then they were noticing that at certain points they were having a hard time. We were traveling. And they, and they were asking, why is it that Why is it that they're always treating you nice? One time we were on the plane, right? All of us were sitting in coach. And the stewardess came up to me, and she said, sir, and for some reason, I don't know why it happened, uh, she came up to me, she said, sir, would you like to sit in first class? And they began to ask, they said, where are you going? And I told them, you'll find out. I said, you'll find out when I don't come back. And then we get up, and then someone else was treating me really extremely nice, because they didn't know me from, any, you know, from anybody else. And, uh, 
And then finally, they, they start to ask, they said, why is everybody treating you that way? And before I could answer, someone else from the band said, it's probably because of the God that he serves. Uh, isn't that something? So based on the circumstances that they were watching me, and boy, you know, these guys, they were from New York, and I want you to know, uh, they were hard-nosed. And boy, they had, they had miles out of this world, and, and you better know that they didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. But I told them anyway. But yet they, they began to look at me, they began to assess my life, and, and, and really, over time, trying to see if what I was saying about Jesus was true. They say... It must, they said, not me, they said, it must be the God that he serves. So if God's people are taken care of, uh, right, uh, then it makes him look good. You see, that wasn't making me look good. That was making God look good. And I remember when that happened, I just said, praise the Lord. Because number one, I didn't have to say a word that one of the unbelievers said an unword about my God. Isn't that great? So we know that Nehemiah, uh, he was on mission. And Nehemiah knew that God had his back as he received, Nehemiah did, favor after favor after favor after favor. There's no way in the world that he uh, could accomplish the building that was going on if he did not have the favor of the Lord. Wouldn't you want the favor of the Lord in your life? Amen. So would I. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. And greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Brothers and sisters, the adversary, the opposition, he doesn't want you to get yourself together. I'll say it again, just in case you didn't hear it the first time, that the adversary does not want you to get yourself together. Word had gotten out that the downtrodden of Jerusalem, that they were trying to get built up. They were trying to be encouraged. They were trying uh, to feel good about themselves. We remember early on when Nehemiah went to assess the damage of the area. Remember, he went to assess the damage in the earlier chapter and tell anyone his business. Remember that? And now we understand how key this was, because had word gotten out at that time, trouble would have begun to brew even before he had started. So again, if there are people who resist the work of the Lord, by default, they will resist you. It's very true. Now, some people may resist you're trying to do because, frankly, some of your ideas simply may be half-baked, right? So don't always think that the reason that you're having trouble is solely because of the devil is against you, amen? You know, sometimes some of the half 
baked and some of the cockamamie ideas that you have, uh, they need to be challenged and you need to stop doing what you're doing. Can you say amen? But at other times, you know that uh, the, the uh, momentum that has been gathered, you know that God has your back. You know that the Holy Spirit is blowing in your cell in the right direction. You know that to be true. You know there's an adversary that's trying to keep you down. Verse 1 says, Sanballat heard that they were building a wall. Then look at his response. What was his response? It says that he was angry. It didn't just say he was angry. It says he was what? He was greatly what? Enraged. And jeered at the Jews. So he wasn't just, you know what? I'm just really upset with him. Sanballat was pretty mad. In fact, uh, when you look at the Hebrew word uh, for, being, uh, uh, for, for being angry, uh, this is what it says. Listen at this. Fascinating. In essence, it says that Sanballat was burning like a hot fire. Sanballat was burning like a hot fire. Now, how hot is a fire? It's pretty hot, right? That's all we can say. Uh, none of us want to put our hands in the fire, amen? At least none of us that have any sense. Like when you're young, you're, you're always trying to touch them. What is this? What is this? Will that really hurt me, right? But when you get old, you have sense enough to know I'm not touching any fire, whether it be on the stove or whether it be from a match. It doesn't make a difference. I'm not touching any fire. So that sounds pretty angry. When someone burns like a hot fire, uh, they uh, are also uh, so put out, they're, they're, they're so upset that they can barely see, and all they can see is red. <laughs> Why red? Well, red is the color of fire, amen? Well, not the stuff that comes out of your stove, though, right? That's kind of blue and whitish, and maybe some oranges in there. Right, but it's the color of fire. Uh, but some of you, when you get mad, what happens to your eyes? Some of your eyes also turn red as well, amen? When last time your eyes turned red from anger? So people who burn like a hot fire don't take long to come up with a plan to take out their anger on those that they dislike. See, you've got somebody to get really, really mad with you. They're so hot at you. Here's this guy jeering at the Jews. Sanballat's anger was directed towards the Jews because he disliked them so much. And he could not stand to see them prosperous and built up. Why? Because of the devil's specific and general dislike for all of God's people. Huh. I'll say it again. It's because of the devil's general and specific dislike for all of God's people. So if you are a believer in Christ, know that some folks are not going to like you because they don't like Jesus. This is also sometimes true in, in some marriages where one spouse doesn't know the Lord and the other spouse does know the Lord. It may be true on your job when those who supervise you just have it out for you and you can't figure out why. Or fellow student 
can't figure out why is it that they just don't like me. Have you ever been in those situations before? Like you just walk in on the scene, there's just this one person that just don't like you, and you can't figure out why. Sand ballots issue is simply a dislike for God's people. As we recall from Nehemiah chapter 2, look at that, verse 10. Nehemiah 2, verse 10. Look at that. And we went through that, but let's look at this again. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, the fact that someone was coming to check on them, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Right? So just because somebody had come to find out, how are my people doing? Can you imagine you go to see your, your grandma or your uncle or your brother in a different state or a different town, right? And you get ready to open up the gate or get ready to walk up to the door of their house where they are. Then the neighbor comes out and says, what are you doing here? And you're like, whoa, hold on, cowboy. What's going on? What are you doing here? How dare you come in and check up on them? See? What would be your response? And here, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, someone had come in to check on their relatives. And Nehemiah did. And they became angry. What are you doing here? How dare you come here to check up on the welfare of your people? Who do you think you are? Brothers and sisters, there's a spirit prevalent in this world which rejects the idea of you being all that you can be in God's army. There's a spirit that doesn't like the fact that you're here on a snowy day. That spirit says to you today, how dare you go to church today uh, when all that snow is outside? Why didn't you stay in? You know what I'll do, I'll see if I can make them have an accident. I'll make them remember the day that they went to church when it was snowing. And then what do you think will happen then? If, if that happened, God bless all of you, the blood of Jesus Christ over all of you in Jesus' name. What do you think would happen if you had an accident trying to get to church one day when it was snowing outside? What do you think would happen to your mind? Oh, this is what will happen. The next time it snows outside, you're going to have second thoughts about going to church. You know, last time I had that accident, and, and you know what? I just need to stay in the house. See, this is how the devil, he works on your mind. So this spirit that is prevalent in the world, it rejects the idea of you being all you can be in, in, according to what Jesus says you are. And again, it is the demonic spirit that influences to always take issue with the disciples of Christ. In today's political climate, we must be extremely careful not to side with people only because you have a dislike for a common enemy. Amen? Listen to what I'm saying. Uh, you have to be very careful to what's, uh, listen to what's being said. And always stand your ground according to who you are in Jesus and not according to who you are according to your political affiliations. Jesus should always be number one. Jesus is always number one. Jesus is the one that we serve because at the end of the day, there ain't going to be no Republicans in heaven. Amen? 
at the end of the day, there will be no Democrats. Because if that's true, Jesus says, I'm not taking any Republicans. I'm not taking any Democrats. I'm not taking any independents. I'm only taking Christians in heaven. And if you can't say that, then you are in a world of trouble. So people may insult you. Right? This is what's going on. That they may insult you. Why? To get you to stop doing what you're doing. To stop building what God is calling you to build. God is calling you to build today. And there are people to insult you to get you to stop. Nehemiah 4, verse 2. And again, this is Sanballat speaking. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and bury ones and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up uh, on it, uh, he will break down their stone wall. You hear what they're saying? You all go ahead. You see, even if a, a little bitty squirrel hopped up on that wall that y'all are building, as soon as that squirrel goes up, it's just going to fall down. Remember last time in the conversation, they're going to be constructive and destructive words. Constructive words are those used to make things better and to move the conversation uh, or idea ahead. For instance, one person tells another, you know, our project, it, it fell because it was missing one critical piece, and that's why it was not successful. But I think I can help, and this is how we can make it better together. Doesn't that sound great? Destructive words are meant to be destructive and destroyed. In a different case, someone says, that's the stupidest project I've ever seen in my life. And anyone who did that uh, is nothing but an idiot. You need somebody smart to come in and do what needs to be done. Just get out of my way. You see, uh, they are constructive words and they are destructive words. And see, when, Nehemiah, uh, when, when, when Sanballat and Tobiah came into the picture, uh, were they using uh, constructive words or were they using destructive words? And we know they were using destructive words because their desire was to tear down instead of building up. Those destructive words typically begin with you. Or they, in this context, I'll call them accusatory pronouns. And then escalate to damaging language to discourage and to stop you dead in your tracks. For instance, you, you are nothing but, and they don't care because looking at the words of, of Sanballat, uh, there's a repeated attempt to make them give up by talking bad about them. What did, how do we know that? Because he called them feeble Jews. In other words, they simply started to trash talk. Right? Uh, when, when I was in uh, high school, uh, sometimes we would spend our lunchtime trash talking. That's what we did on lunch. We would eat, trash talk, eat, 
trash talk, eat trash talk. And basically you would trash talk just to get somebody to shut up. Or just to embarrass someone. I never, I, uh, or you, some people call them the dozens as well, right? Uh, but trash talk is a, a, almost a, a, a different thing. So they were saying here, uh, Sanballat was saying that they were so frail that they were incapable of doing anything, let alone building a wall. You can't do nothing. You can't do nothing right. And for some people, when they hear those words being lobbed at them like arrows, that that is enough for them to stop. That's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we should always be uh, transformed in re the renewing of our minds. Why? Because the enemy will always use words towards us that are our Amen? They will always say things about us. When they start, when they start calling us names, amen, the moment they begin to call us names, you better believe that is destructive and that is of darkness and that is of the devil, period. If it's criticism about what's being done, that's a different story. But as soon as they begin to lob those destructive words towards your person, that is something that you don't want to be around. Leash you need deliverance from. Now sometimes those words, uh, they don't come from another person. Sometimes they're within your own head. Because for some folks, you see, uh, for some folks, uh, they grew up with these words. They grew up with demeaning language. They grew up with words that saying you will never amount to anything. So eventually that they reach a point when they try to be successful in their life, they really can't make it over the hump because those debilitating words constantly haunt them and prevent them. Who do you think you are? You're not doing anything. It's not good enough. X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times our, our world is framed by what people said when we were young. You ain't nothing. And we wonder, why is it that I can't make it over that hump? So what if the enemy that's fighting you is actually the enemy within? There are the voices which tell you you will not win and you will never amount to anything and you always quit and you're going to quit this time too. You always give up. The moment that you have any type of suffering, the moment you have any type of persecution coming your way, your solution is to say, I quit. Bottom line, brothers and sisters, nothing worth doing is easy. Nothing worth doing well will complete it, will be completed by you if you don't put a little elbow of grease, if you're not accustomed to making it through when the criticism comes. And guess what? Those people that insult you, they're not going to stop because you don't like it. They're not going to stop because you don't like it. In fact, the reason they insult you in the first place because they know you don't like it. So don't succumb to that. In other words, when the enemy has it out for you, they will pull out all stops. You ever know what pull out all stops means, by the way? They pull out all stops. I hear uh, on the organ, on some of the older organs, I'm not sure if this is, this is one of them. 
Uh, you can't see because the cover is over it. But on, on some of the organs, uh, they have these things that are called stops, right? And basically, they are levers. That what happens is when you're playing the organ to create a fuller sound or a certain type of sound, you start to pull out like there's something that may be called flute on it, on the organ, has kind of flute kind of sound, or something that says brass or like trumpet, you pull a, you pull a lever out, right? But when, when the organ player is playing and they just want the church to really rock and roll, what they do is they start pulling out all stops. They pull out everything to do everything that they can to get the biggest and the greatest sound. So what I'm saying is that the adversary, he will pull out all stops on you. He'll talk about you. He'll fight against you. He'll come against your family. He'll try to make you sick. He'll call you names. You'll hear those names in your head when he's not there. He'll try to shut doors. Your car will break down. Right? And you will have problems at home. You have problems at work. You have problems even at the grocery store. Uh, he will pull out all stops to get you to stop. Those are the threats and veiled accusations to prevent a person from doing what they know is right. But then when the devil knows that he can't stop you physically, he will just accuse. He'll accuse you to the left, accuse you to the right. But here for the children of God, the insults continue as their ability to not only build a wall is put into question, but even if they manage to build it, if it could even stand. So you go ahead and build it, uh, but I'm telling you, you might as well stop right now because it ain't nothing. Well, maybe this comes from experienced people who have seen walls and buildings built for a long time and they really knew the skills of the people trying to build the wall now. But that simply is not uh, the case here. They are just being antagonistic. They're trying to get God's people from being uh, who they're supposed to be. So what is the response to that? How should we respond to those who are trying to stop us? Nehemiah 4, 4 through 5. Prayer is the appropriate response and the key to dealing with any threat. Prayer is the appropriate response and the key for dealing with any threat. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Do you see how Nehemiah reframed what they were doing in his prayer? Even though they were insulting them, Nehemiah said, no, oh God, look what they're doing. They're insulting you. So we're doing the work of God. They're talking about us, but oh, no, 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 no. Uh, they're not talking about us, oh God. They're talking about you. So uh, when you are doing the work of the Lord, 
and your family member starts talking about you, know that they're not talking about you. They're talking about God. Uh, know that uh, when they call you a holy roller at work uh, because you went to all that God stuff, no, they're not talking about you. They're talking about God. Uh, know that uh, when you go somewhere and you say you have Jesus on the brain and folks say, here comes another one of them Christian folks. I never liked them. Know that they're not talking about you. They are talking about God. So what do you do? When they start talking about you, say, Lord, you hear how they're talking about you? When they start to say, you ain't nothing, you just say, God, okay. Boy, they're talking about you, God. Oh, God. Oh, they're talking about you now, Lord. When they say that uh, you have nothing but a pea brain, you say, God, they're talking about your brain. Your brain, God, your brain, which is infinite, your brain, uh, which is far beyond anything that we can imagine, even think, Lord God, they are talking about you, God. So what you do is like, uh, you, you remember the, uh, uh, sometimes in the old days, you know, uh, in, in years past, uh, you, you remember that, right? Sometimes you'd be in a neighborhood and you start messing with somebody who got a dog. You start messing with that person. You ain't nothing, this, that, and the other. And you're talking, again, all that trash talk. I know that uh, some of my brothers know exactly what I'm talking about. So you're talking about all that trash talk with a person who got a dog. You ain't nothing. Y'all ain't nothing. Your family ain't this. You're not this. You're not that. And they got that dog. And then what do they do next? They tell that dog what? Sick him. You see, they ain't got to worry about fighting you. Because they got somebody who's going to advocate on their behalf. So all we got to do is say, when they start talking about us, he said, God, get them. God, you, you don't have to be arguing. You don't have to be doing this. You don't have to be doing that. Well, sometimes you, you may have to just, you know, push it down a little bit. Amen. In the name of Jesus. But then you say, God, get them. Right? Because you want the Lord to take care of the situation. Because, you see, many times when we take care of the situation ourselves, we really have a tendency to mess things up, don't we? Right? We think we're smart. Uh, you, you know, uh, we think we're right. You start using, you think you're using constructive words. You're just destroying stuff. And God said, you know what? I'm not doing anything because you just went in there and you messed things. I was about to step into place and then you did all that and you messed the whole thing up. So go ahead. You want to deal with it? You do it. God tells us that the appropriate way for dealing with this type of thing is through prayer. And we began the book of Nehemiah with him praying. Remember that? It was a situation which he had no control over uh, in his own ability, so he did what he knew best at the very beginning in chapter 1, and that was petition the Lord. So I tell you, as you're building for the sake of God's kingdom and you come across opposition, then you petition the Lord. Again, this is important to grab onto because once we think the threat has stopped, a lot of times we stop praying. All right, soon things get good. Oh, well, I don't have time to pray today. Oh, I, 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 I ain't got time uh, to petition the Lord or read my scripture today. In other words, when things are finally going well, we abandon prayer and worship for other things like work and recreation. Well, can't come to church today because uh, uh, our, our kids got football. Oh, uh, no, I can't do that uh, on Sunday anymore, right, because this is happening. 
So now Nehemiah uses prayer with the hopes of removing the obstacles, which are formidable and most frightening for anybody. So remember that insults and action against God's people are insults and actions against him. This is especially true when you are doing God's bidding. A lot of times this is when it comes in. A lot of times the resistance it comes in when you're doing God's work. Do you realize that? A lot of times you get your most opposition, you get your most resistance when you are advocating on behalf of the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're a Christian and you are faithfully following the Lord, then those who come after you will sooner or later have to deal with the Lord himself. Before David became king, he fully understood this principle, even though he could have rightly dealt with King Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, right? So this is David talking to King Saul. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand out against my Lord, for he is, and that's Saul. Even though Saul was disobedient, do you remember that? So Saul was disobedient, and David says, for he is, for Saul is, this disobedient guy, for Saul is the Lord's anointed. Now, this doesn't mean that any time uh, someone does wrong that you should sit back and do nothing and wait for the Lord to take care of it. Amen? Again, we got that other side, that sometimes you have, to, you have to deal with it. And neither did Nehemiah sit back and do nothing. Again, this important principle must be mentioned again because some are under the impression that this is what it means to pray and not do anything else. Action goes with your faith, brothers and sisters. Action goes with your faith. James says in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is your faith? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by or with my works. So if you have faith, then show me your works. Because talk is cheap. As God's people, you and I, we keep building even with constant threats. Keep building even with constant threats. We saw how God's people unified in chapter 3, right? When they began to build in chapter 3. Uh, but the true te test is right now. God's people have always been threatened with violence and death uh, for as long as God has been trying to redeem the world from the very beginning. Look what happened to Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? Uh, Abel could be considered as God's man. 
Cain didn't like it, so he took care of Abel, so he thought. So it should be no surprise to us that it happened to his people in the book of Nehemiah, and it should be no surprise to us when it happens to you and when it happens to me. Now, it's not that I'm trying, that I'm wishing this upon you, but this is a reality. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. John 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. <laughs> now this comes from Jesus. So as you try to build your faith, as you build your family, as you take part in building the church, know that there are spiritual forces in dark places that are intent on bringing you down. Remember that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and the devil doesn't like it, and the devil doesn't like you. So the rising up of God's kingdom means the diminishing of the kingdom of darkness. And when they see the kingdom of God rising up, so I know what I'm going to do. Oh, I, I, I'm going to take care of him. Get him out the way. I'm going to take care of her. Oh, I know how to deal with her. I'm just going to move her out the way. Oh, I know what I'm going to do with that brother and sister there. Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Because I know if I hit them right in the heart, I know if I hit them, if I hit them right in the heart, I know exactly what's going to happen. Their whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down. Oh, yeah! And then when their whole house of cards come tumbling down, then other people are going to look and take notice and say, oh, but I thought. And then people begin to get uncomfortable. Well, if it could happen to them, it can happen to us. And then uh, maybe the very things that we believe may not be true. Collateral damage in the house of God. The devil picks them off one at a time. Boom. Boom. One at a time. He makes you disappear. One at a time. He discourages you. One at a time, he tells you you're nothing. One at a time, he tells you you're not making a difference in this world. You're not making a difference. Why even try? But as God's people, we know that as the threats continue, we keep on building. Amen? We put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Nehemiah 4.7 But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, you see what happened? They had the threats. Nehemiah prayed. And then what happened after that? They kept on building. They had the threats. Nehemiah prayed, and they did what? Come on. They kept on. They had the threats. Nehemiah prayed, and they kept on 
building. They heard the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. What was their response now? Oh, happy day. No, 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 no. It says then they were very angry. Well, wait a minute. They were already burning like a hot fire. How can you burn hotter than a hot fire? This chapter, chapter 4, has a reoccurring cycle of three themes. Opposition, prayer, and moving forward. Opposition, prayer, and moving forward. After the adversaries discovered the work did not stop, after they threatened God's people, they decided to go to the next level and plan an attack. So now they're going to put things into action. Nehemiah 4, verse 8. And, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Hmm. Yes, they were going to fight them. Oh yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show about your doorstep. Oh yeah, they were going to hurt a few people. But one thing that they understood, that we can fight and we can hurt a few people, but there's this additional thing that we need to do. We must sow seeds of discord and division. Here it is. We must sow seeds of discord and division. It's not enough just to fight, but now they want to divide them. And as you heard me say many times before, this is the work of the devil. So when it happens right before your eyes, don't forget the word of God. So God's people refuse to be distracted by more of the threats as they continue to work day and night. But they just didn't pray. Remember, they just didn't sit around and pray all the time. You know, haven't you heard, the, I, think it was, uh, I think it was the uh, Snow White and the Seven Doors or something. I think there was one, was it the Whistle While You Work or something like that? Right? Whistle while you work. And for them, it was, oh God, can you do something? We're going to work. Oh God, can you do something? We're going to keep building. Oh God, can you do something about them? Let's keep putting these bricks together, y'all. They were working and they were praying. They were ministering and they were praying. They were defending themselves and they were praying. So as you enter in the things of God, you work and you pray. Wasn't in fact Jesus who told us to watch and what? In other words, when you pray, right, Jesus says, hey, y'all keep one of your eyes open, y'all. Everybody bow their heads. All right, y'all go ahead. It reminds me, uh, I think it was just, uh, uh, maybe it was last week we were praying. Uh, yeah, I think it was last week we were praying, right? And uh, I was with my granddaughter and I was praying with her. And I was praying, I had my eyes, I was praying. I was praying like this for her. I was praying like this for her. I'm like, yeah, and, and Lord bless her, and, and Lord so on and so forth, and Lord, 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 and, and I could feel myself like getting, getting, getting emotional in the spirit, right, right, and, and then I just happened to open my eyes. She was like this. I'm like, Lord, I know you told us to watch and pray, but dang, she was doing too much watching. But wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Some of God's people took the bait and began to believe the lies of the enemy. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. People of God. In Judah it was said. So this is among uh, these Jews here. In Judah it was said. 
The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, right? This is the people of God in Judah. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. This is talk amongst themselves. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. What were they saying? They were saying, you must stop. You must Stop the building. You must not be what God has called you to be. Sometimes people look at the work of Jesus in the church and say, look, the work is failing, so we should all abandon the work of the Lord and return to where we came from. But today, the Lord wants to tell us, don't stop building. What is the Lord trying to tell us today? Don't stop I don't think you believe me. What does the Lord want us to know today? Don't stop building. You see, some people only see things in the flesh and don't have an appetite for things in the Spirit. Why? The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And in order to understand that, which is spiritually discerned, you must be in contact with God. In order to be in contact with the Lord, you must have a vibrant relationship with Him, which requires time and patience. Hence the problem. Some don't have the time or the patience to depend upon the Lord. So when trouble arises, you have nothing invested in your spiritual uh, war chest in order to be spiritually discerning so you don't know what's going on. But Nehemiah did. Because from the very beginning of chapter 1, he was praying. Right here through the building of chapter 4, Nehemiah is praying because he knew that the Lord would grant them success and that the Lord would keep them and guard them. So they not only had the enemy discouraging, now it's their own people. There's nothing like that. There's nothing as debilitating. Just have your own folks tell you what you're not. But we know that that's also a lie. And we build for the glory of God. Nehemiah tells the people, don't stop building and fight for what you know to be true. Don't stop building. So if your work in the Lord is so important, then you need to make the sacrifices you need to make to get things done. If your work in the Lord is so important, it's time for you to make the sacrifices. Nehemiah 4, verses, starting at verse 21. Nehemiah 4, verse 21. It says, so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. So, so some had hammers and nails, and others had glocks and 45 shotguns and rifles and AK-47s, right? I also said to the people at, the, at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may guard for us by night and may labor by day. Look at this, verse 23. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. 
Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now, uh, you may recall from last time, how long did it take them to rebuild the wall? Uh, you got, uh, how many days did it take? 52 days. What do you think it was smelling like around there after 52 days, both with the same clothes on? They didn't take the clothes off. I know sometimes some of them teenagers, they smell like they're doing the work of the wall, all right? Make the sacrifice. I'm almost done, but don't stop building. These saints worked in prayer, worked with their weapons nearby, and worked without changing their clothes because they were taking a chance of failing if they did. Face it, uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ means you must make sacrifice, and if some people are just not willing to do it, or whatever you're trying to accomplish, you must not stop building. This could mean you may need to do some other things along the way, but you must never, ever, ever stop building if God has told you to build. We as the church must never stop building the kingdom of God as long as we have breath. Yes, we need to work hard. Yes, we need to keep watching. Yes, we need to do without some things sometimes, but we must never stop building for the Lord. If we believe that Jesus lives, we must never stop building. If we believe that Jesus died for us, we must never stop building. If we believe that Jesus saved us, we must never stop building. If you believe He delivered you, you must never, ever stop building. Winston Churchill said this in a speech addressing his people about persevering through the tough time of war. And I quote, We shall never flag or flail, fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight to defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. As a woman, as a man, as a child of God, you must never surrender. But you must keep building. When someone speaks of surrendering, know that it comes from the devil. Don't succumb to the talk. Never surrender to the threats, but keep on building for the sake of God and for the sake of His kingdom and for the sake of other folks who are not saved yet. God has called you to keep on building. So we will, Lord, do what? Keep on building. Keep on building today. What we're going to do tomorrow, saints? Keep on building. What are we going to do next week, saints? Keep on building. What are we going to do in a year, saints? Keep on building. We will build. We will build. We will build. Because God has called us to such a task. And we will say to the devil, when he comes against him, you are a lie. Get thee behind me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.